Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lori Clark Show. This episode of my podcast is brought to you with the help of ZoomUs, a video and audio conferencing interface. It's important to know that I'm in no way sponsored by Zoom. I just want to tell you how much I love it. It is very reliable, easy to use, and provides excellent audio and video files that my team and I produce to share the power of story with you. Another non-sponsored, couldn't do without, but just have to tell you how good it is, is Squarespace. When they say it is the all-in-one platform, it really is true. I go into the back end of my website multiple times a day, adjust things, post podcast, add links, and look at our show's analytics, which all sync across my devices. And when I need an image, Squarespace provides an excellent resource that's powered by Unsplash. Now for my most favorite feature, the Squarespace app. Um, Being a working mom, there never seems to be enough time in my day. So when my daughter's in ballet, I sit in my car and upload, post, and manage everything on my website from the app. It's really cool and seamless. Squarespace is really, really simple and very dedicated to helping me create a brand of excellence. So with that, big shout out to Zoom, Squarespace, and Unsplash. Thank you for helping me tell people's stories. With that said, let's move on to the best part about today, the show. Please allow me to welcome my next guest on The Lori Clark Show. This episode is going to be interesting for me. Um, In this next episode, I am here in my studio with my daughter. Hello, Mom. (laughs) Hi, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was very, very, very resistant to having you on the show. And I was not. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason for that is because... um, We are going to talk today about a traumatic event that happened to you nine months ago, and it has changed the course of your life. And for me, I was resistant because I wasn't really wanting to reveal or to put out, put you out to... Right. The world for anybody to listen to. And the other thing is, I also am not, at the beginning of the show when I started it, I said, I'm not having family members. And and there's a reason for all of that. We had to go to the drawing board on this one and, and adjust that rule. Because recovering from a traumatic event is... At such a young age is not an easy thing. And recognizing that you've been in a traumatic event and that you need help is not an easy thing. It is not an easy thing as a, as a person who's on this journey. I'm technically called your parent. <laughs> um, but I really look at my position in your life as just a guide because now that you're 21 we we transition and we move into a different relationship so 
me telling you what to do or how to do it or when I see signs of trauma and the effects of trauma in your life, you know, I, I've had to step back a little bit and let you guide me. And I've had to close my mouth and not say anything because it really is about your personal journey. So for me, the resistance was putting you out there and at risk. I'm not worried about anybody writing in or what I'm worried about is that um, we open the door. Right. Right. And so this is our family. This is our life. Yeah. And in this particular situation, we must share this story. We must tell this story. We must uh, talk to people about what it is like to have a traumatic event in your life and that has happened to you when you live with your family it happens to your family yes as well so we've all been in it together this is something that i think many many young men and women can connect to and understand and if you are out there listening to the show wherever you are and you are resonating it's 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 sitting well with you. You are identifying with I, uh, moments or the experience of what Ireland is about to share. Then there are people that you can get help from. And the first person I would call is a therapist and not, um, you know, for any other reason. But you will see through Ireland's story exactly what she went through and maybe you can identify so no further delay of me talking this will uh will will protect us from moving this forward so i welcome you my sweet daughter ireland clark to the show um thank you for pushing me you're very welcome (laughs) you've been asking me so can we do a show? It's been, uh, a, it's yeah. been a few weeks. <laughs> sure. Um, are we doing the show today? Oh, I, I forgot. I don't forget shows. No. no. I don't forget shows. But you understand. It's very important to me to discuss this topic because of the life-altering way that it's kind of come into my existence, my being, and my everyday life. It's caused me to become more aware. It's caused me to have different types of responses to things that I usually wouldn't. Like, I can't interact with stress the same way as I used to. I have a hard time interacting with large groups of people. I've never been a nervous person. I've developed nervous tendencies. Things like that that have totally changed the way that I look at the world and interact with people that I love the most. And people started to notice that things were a little different. I started to notice that I was interacting differently. And it just caused me to feel a little bit of shame about how this event had really impacted my life. And so I believe that other people have experienced similar events or any type of trauma. And I felt it was so incredibly important to share My story that even if one person could go and get some help or identify that maybe they have been living in this space and this trauma, it's not them, it's this other event that's affecting them and causing them to feel these things. 
and feel the way that they do. And it's, it is in their control. And it's not about taking back control. It's not about taking back any of those things and, and forgetting what happened to you. But it really is about realizing that you get to choose how you move through this life. And you get to choose what affects you and how it affects you. And if you can go out and get treatment, if you can go out and get support, if you can go out and access benefits, if you can talk to other people about what you're living through, you can offer a light for a lot of people that might not be able to find that on their own. You know, that's really powerful what you said. Because that is what you know, as a, as people, I've always, I've done this with my own life and now you're doing this with yours. But every story matters. And it's not always about, you know, the solution. Yeah. Because right now, there is not a solution and, and we need to be clear about that. You are in process. And that to me. I haven't gone for treatment yet. I have things set up. I've met with therapists um, and I'm moving forward in that aspect, but I actually myself haven't gone for treatment yet, but I understand that role that that'll play in my life moving forward. Sure. And I think like being able to talk about it in process yeah. is so powerful because like you said, there's the one person who is in process Maybe they're similar to you where they have some therapy sessions set up and, you know, they have to wait a month to get in. Right. But they're sitting there in process. Um, that is where the beauty is in a story, in an experience. And I just, again, um, I thank you for sharing this. Now, I want to begin with day one. I don't want to begin with day zero. <laughs> because day zero is the point of trauma correct and i i really am of the mind that we don't need to relive that it's also not important to focus on my trauma was so unique my trauma was so different from other people's no one's ever going to experience something that's exactly the same trauma and i feel like it's not important to focus on the actual event itself and more so focus on how it's affected me now over these nine months and what we could like what I can do now to move through that and exactly. how it's had an impact in my life. Now it's not important to focus on the actual. Well, and, event. and I think this is also important. This show is not here to relive trauma. No, this show is here to step out of that and say, okay, what can we offer now? Exactly. What is the process? All right. So day one, was let's just walk us walk us through it um so right after the event I went home I felt relatively normal I felt a little bit in shock a little bit shaky um a door slammed across the street and for the first time in my life I jumped probably three feet in the air and was like a little bit um surprised by my response to that I hung out with um my boyfriend after that we talked about it well, but not in depth <laughs> over 
he was already in the vehicle by the time I was home um, and basically just said, I'm coming whether you like it or not. I'm going to be at your door in 45 minutes. So I'm bringing you snacks. I'm coming to support you. Uh, I'm glad that and, you're okay. and And let's talk about that for a minute because support in this, in from my recollection of day one, was not about reliving it for you. No. But what you did was really, really cool because your dad raced home from work. Yeah. Your brother drove home from work. Your other brother and your sister were waiting for you when you pulled into the driveway. Yeah. When I drove you home. So we left your car. We just left it all. Yep. And we, we came home. And you gathered your, the people that were close to you. And you said, here's what happened. And that was really powerful to me because I was on the outside of that. I was standing in the hallway crying, watching. Um, while you gave everyone permission to love on you and be emotional. There are people that don't have that. Right. So there are people that after trauma don't have a support network. And if that person's listening, their girlfriend or boyfriend might not have come over. We want to help them and give them just a, 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 a moment to, to honor them and to let them know that what? What can we let them know? The importance of even though it feels like the scariest thing on the world to talk about what you've just lived through, it is so incredibly important to live live through what you experienced and then talk about it. Um, there are many ways to talk about it. You could write it in a journal. You could video call someone. It's obviously, for me, I am a huge fan of, in-person connection, facial, you know, face-to-face, talking to someone. Um, So for me, it was important to have those people actually physically be there and experience that with me and me to look at each person in the eye and go, this is what I went through. This is what I went through. Um, But texting a friend you love, calling a friend you love, calling your parents if you have the ability to do so, reaching out to a close friend. um, And you know what else? Um, some people just don't want to talk about it because it's too traumatic. You can look at yourself in the mirror and talk to yourself in the mirror. And you can just sit and let yourself begin to feel. Mm -hmm. So whatever way worked is not the right way. And that's what I wanted to bring out quickly before we move forward because you were talking about the support that ascended upon you. And and there are people that don't have that. And there are people that have a traumatic thing and they they go back to their home or go somewhere else and they just do not talk about it. But the body is, is, is taking in that information and it's beginning to do things with that information. And so each person's going to respond differently. 100%. So... You had your boyfriend come over and your family, and then, um, you know, you... I was relatively okay for the rest of the evening. Uh, I didn't have 
it just hadn't sunk in that it actually happened to me. So when I talked about it, it was really easy to be emotionally distant from it. It was easy for me to just almost not pretend, but it it just hadn't sunk in at all. It hadn't become a memory yet. It was just something that happened that was crazy, that that was everybody wanted to know about. So I was talking about it a lot. I felt like I was kind of a broken record um, by the end of the, the night. I had people texting me and calling me and um, because I'd reached out to a couple other people and it just, it was a lot of overstimulation all at once. And it was a day of just like very, just so many questions, so many, it was really putting my toolbox of emotional tools to the test about whether I could actually handle something like this. I kept thinking back to my psych psychology classes in, in um, high school and thinking about, and, and my university courses as well, and just thinking about what I'd learned there and why I needed to talk about it and the importance of talking things through right away and the, you know, I just emotional processing and reaching out to people. And I was lucky to have that breadth of knowledge, but it didn't prepare me for what I was about to face moving forward. So after day one and the, the four or five days after was, was noticeably different. I definitely felt still that shock, still that sense of just like anxiety, a little bit of um, unsettledness. I felt, you know, like I was still processing and I was shaky. I was very shaky. Well, <clears throat> from my vantage point, um, you cocooned you went inward and you were very quiet and subdued like I am not a subdued person just anybody that knows me (laughs) describes me as a force of nature right so so that is this was weird and very uncharacteristic you know that your dad and I were googling (laughs) and reaching out to different people who you know are able to have you know, familiar with mental health and, and wellness and, and in those that profession. And we were getting advisement because we had never been here before either. Now, I'd like to note that lots of times people your age go to their own apartment or their roommates. You are coming to, you live with us. Yes. So we get the benefit of having you live with us, um, you know, for your whole life. And the benefit of that for for you is that we we were watching we were looking for signs we were you know so when you are if you were with a roommate or someone else you might not have been pushed um to have the discussion and we can talk about the the nudging later but you know when the trauma happened for you Mm -hmm. you cried a lot Mm -hmm for the next four to five days mm-hmm. and you would just you didn't want to talk about it you just wanted hugs yeah and so you that was that the emotional other connection that was really interesting is I like I said a few minutes ago <clears throat> I was trying to pull all this knowledge from my psychology courses I was trying to pull all this knowledge that I knew about how important it was to talk and emotionally process And I honestly 100% believed that I was doing those things to the best of my ability. And I thought I was processing and talking and being out there. 
But as you just heard from Lori, I wasn't actually doing any of those things. And so what I thought I was doing wasn't actually being presented. And people around me were noticing that I wasn't okay, that I was becoming more introverted, that I was struggling with processing this, with moving through it, with understanding what had happened, with crying a lot, with feeling really emotional. But I almost don't remember a lot of these events that she actually talks about. Um, I'm very lucky to have gone through this with people that can record and remember what I was like, because I honestly don't remember any of those things. I remember feeling shaky, feeling emotional and talking about it and and crying about it. But I almost don't remember the feeling of crying. You know how usually you feel the warmth and you feel the tears streaming on your face and you feel the well up in your eyes and you get kind of hot and your, your skin kind of feels, you feel life. I didn't feel those things. I felt very numb. I felt very secluded. And even when I talked about it, there was that distancing uh, within what I was talking about. And so when people pointed out to me that I was being reserved or I was, I'm like, no, I'm talking about it. What do you mean? I'm telling you about how, and I resorted to this kind of aggressive, angry side which I'm also I might be a freak of a force of nature a freak, of, a freak of nature you are a little freak of nature but you're more <laughs> force of nature I'm like oh I'm a freak mm. of nature <laughs> <laughs> I might be a force of, of nature, nature but I'm not angry and I'm not an aggressive assertive negative person and that was really really a point of conversation with dad and I because and and with the boyfriend as well. And, yeah, can we say his name? And and with Nick. Yeah. <laughs> do we do we talk about him on here? Saying the boyfriend is almost like. <laughs> yeah, I don't. It, I mean, it's, it's not like, great. I just didn't. I didn't ask him permission <laughs> if I can talk about him on here sorry, yet. Nick, so the bend now. Three. Um. So we talked about it. And then he would come over and check in on you like every day. And he would always, you know, and you would talk about it. But we, I never went behind you or around you and talked to Nick. No. What we did was we just stood in the kitchen. And talked with Nick. However, this, it was so interesting to watch your body and your emotion shut down i i i had not ever seen that no in someone before but then again we've never had this measure of trauma and for me watching that what you're talking about is that you did become angry and it was almost like the emotion of anger stepped forward and said, I am protecting this whole show right now. I'm protecting this woman. I'm protecting this body. I'm protecting yeah. the mind, the soul. Everything we receive has to come through the anger filter. And everything that goes out has to go through the anger filter. And so it was um, hard. Yeah. And Do because you, I was in such a threat state, you were you Couldn't. were constantly um, combative, yeah. But not, and I want to 
round that out too because it wasn't combative in like a I wasn't picking on, fights no but you but when you would talk it was so icy and and you could barely handle stress so if in our family we communicate conflict is important it's essential we that's the way we've all done life and uh, dad and I've always taught you about conflict because we have healthy conflict. Mm-hmm. And so we've taught you about what healthy and unhealthy conflict look like, looks like. And so when, when we would say something like you didn't like your job is to put, you know, all your dishes in the dishwasher, Ireland, why are you just leaving it on the counter? Something simple like that was this moment for you. And we had a lot of grace because we, we stepped back and said, okay, we have a new situation here that we never encountered. How are we going to handle this? That's kind of how we... And I want to be clear, they didn't let me be a tyrant or anything no. like that. But if I had like a, a quick response that was just immediate and oh, sharp, yeah. Yeah. they respected that and wouldn't engage in the moment, maybe at another point... Maybe if there was, it was too many in a row, they'd be like, okay, manage a little bit. But I honestly didn't notice, again, a lot of this really fresh, fresh. right after the trauma, there was a lot of this that I actually don't recall. Um, There's just, yeah, there's just a ton of things that I just don't recall. So it started with the initial issues were um, large crowds, it noises but the ones that concerned me and when we do have a therapist on to talk about the um, effects of trauma I think he or she will be able to identify that these are these are some of your like your alarm bells or your red alerts right red flags so the one that started getting uh dad and I and I would look at Nick and his eyebrow would raise is the denial yeah. So we talked about the loud noise. You know, you would jump. Um, we'll hold the large crowd for a minute because um, we're going to move through that in a second. But the um, we talked about like the emotional um, moments where you it was almost like it didn't happen. You were still recoiling um, and your body was still inputting all kinds of information and trying to figure out how to function Mm -hmm. after such a uh, large event. But the ones that stuck out to me were the denial and the trouble sleeping. Yeah. Because you would come upstairs and you'd say, I didn't sleep or I was restless or I had a bad dream. And that started me, you know, we just monitored you, but like from a distance, we never talked about it. No, we haven't talked about it at all, actually. Because you were in denial. And we had to accept you as you were. I really think that that is essential. It's, unlo- it's, it's so contrary to being a friend. I'm your friend. I'm also your mom. And so for me to, and, and for Nick, you know, when he was sharing about it, he had the same kind of feeling was there's that, that like, oh, but that didn't happen. 
and, and that's how you talk about it. Well, okay, hold on. Okay, this is how this happened. And it, it was just, just so un- out of the order. Not like me at all. So talk to me in hindsight about that denial piece. Do you? Yeah. I don't think I could have processed it any other way. Oh, and we would never ask you to. Not that you're saying that I, that I could, but because... The feeling that I was feeling inside my brain and my body was just everything's on fire. I felt like I was struggling to stay afloat. Mm. I continued my life on as normal. I was still going to school. I still was working. I still saw all my friends I didn't withdraw from family I didn't withdraw from Nick I kept myself fully submerged in my life because I didn't want to let this take unnecessary hold and I didn't want to go and shelter myself like I wanted to in my room for days and days and days and not speak to anyone and hide myself in a corner and be quiet I mean I I was being quiet but I didn't want to just go right into that dark place I wanted to stay living and I wanted to stay doing things and I kept saying to myself it can't define me it can't define me it can't define me and I think within that unfortunately came this aspect of was I really taking care of myself no was I really taking care of my mental health no I thought I was I thought I was using my knowledge I thought I was using my tools And that was where the kind of denial piece came in Mm. when people would ask me, how are you? And I'd answer honestly and say, I'm not doing well or I'm not doing okay or any of those things. But it still was such a disconnect between the actual event, what I was feeling and how I was presenting that I actually couldn't identify that I was in denial. I couldn't identify that I was being icy. I had a hard time getting in touch with those emotions and so when I'd cry randomly I'd be like ah I can't cry right now because I felt like that was a a defining moment where if I let myself cry all the time like I wanted to then I wasn't living this and and what normal life so intriguing to me Ireland is that dad and I were talking about this over a beer the other night and you cried all the time. But I don't remember crying all the you time. You would come home from work and you would just cry. It was so hard for me as someone who is so deeply connected to step into that place with you and not say a word. But that is what I had to do. Because, and you did a damn good job, because I can, I can, I can truly say. I'm a little emotional about this. I think that's probably why I didn't want to do this show. Because, like, I'm practically, like, weeping. But I can say that. Man. If I look back at how I was in those first, that first month, 
I don't recall anyone else in my life acting differently towards me. Nobody treated me with a different level. Like people were obviously careful around me. And if I was crying, they would comfort me or, or like no one was like, stop crying. No one ever said anything like that. But a lot of that did create a sense of normalcy for me. And I believed that I was doing okay. And this is, so I'm going to stop you because this is actually, I think this is the earmark. Yeah. You have said this, I don't know how many times we can go back through. We've only, we're only at 30 minutes and we've said this many times. I thought I was, I thought I was doing this. I thought I was, and this is where we're still in process. But how many of you listening could say, I thought I was connecting to people, but they're, but then they're telling me there's this icy barrier. I thought I was acting um, emotional, but then they said I was in, I was emotional, but it was rage or anger or dismissiveness or, you know, was I crying all the time? That's interesting. Right. Because I, I thought I could keep it together. No, no, it wasn't. And Here's but it's thing. not even that I felt when I was crying that I wasn't keeping it together. I uh, I didn't know I was crying. No, you didn't I know. I didn't feel. And I can tell you that your face showed. It was like stone, stone. I didn't feel. No, you didn't I was didn't very feel. numb and very yeah. icy. Removed. And, and, and removed, yeah. There were many conversations with your brothers uh, and your little sister on the side where we processed yeah. their emotion. Because you and, had to walk them through that because I was so them. different. Whereas, and we said to them, we will have a family session about this once Ireland goes to therapy. But until then, when she's ready, we'll let everybody know if, like, when you're ready or maybe when we need to nudge you. But we'll have that session and that time because I've said this through a lot of different shows I've done. Mm-hmm. I've done shows with people on, um, on having a child with autism. I've done shows on having pe- children and, and family members with type 1 diabetes and, you know, um, uh, emotional abuse. When there's trauma in someone's life and you're in a family unit, the whole family is experiencing it on different levels. And that's really important. So we were experiencing this different version of who you were. Yeah. Some families are going to handle it all. Everyone's going to handle it differently. We, we're not saying, and I'm not saying we handled this the right way. I actually feel, and I could probably list five to eight things that I did wrong. However, there's going to be other family members that want to talk about it all the time. And then there's tension There'll be people that don't talk about it ever. It just, there's a span here. There's a spectrum here. Um, And that's just the process. And I want to point out, you said something that you all had to learn how to interact with this new version of me. And I was also learning how to interact with this new version of myself. Exactly. I, like I said before, had not had a history of depression, anxiety, panic attacks, anything that are very typical, unfortunately, in today's society. I don't typically handle those things, and I've never lived through those things before 
this event occurred. And I was learning to be okay with the fact that this was my body's natural response to handle this event. And the increased levels of anxiety, my heart almost was always pounding. I always felt like there was a lump in my throat. I always felt like I had, you know, tightness in my chest. I always felt jumpy. I always felt really tense. I had a hard time relaxing. I couldn't sleep. All of those things that I normally could do so well, I couldn't, couldn't do anymore. Because my body was in this insane, like I said, it was on fire. I felt like all those handbooks, all the knowledge, all the tools were just chucked out the window. You know what you thought or what you had learned how to do or be. I couldn't or how to access. treat someone. You couldn't find it. Talk to me about. Let's move us down the road mm-hmm. to that day. Now. I can't remember, was that a month or two? No, it was three months. Three months. Okay, so so for three months, we we just went through. Now, Dave and I would check in. Everything seemingly so went back to normal. Often. Yeah. Like However, for me at least. Let's let's be honest. Yeah. We were we forwarded you the number. <laughs> Of a couple different therapists. A few times. Uh, a few times. And we kept saying, we're here for and you. And Nick kept encouraging me to just check in. You good? Like, how you feeling about yeah. this? We haven't talked about it in a bit. Yeah. What's your perspective? That's right. So we were all checking in. Just because we went along for three months didn't mean that we weren't having moments where we would have the conversation. But I believe things were getting better for we myself. Did. And then three months happened. And I got a phone call. I had I was in a public place. I was at a school. I was walking from my class to my car, which is my safe place. And as I was walking down this flight of stairs, there was two men that got into an argument. Started yelling at each other. It involved in like a physical altercation. I ran down the stairs, out the front doors, to my vehicle holding it all together but feeling really out of control jumped in my car closed the door locked the door and then just started bawling I couldn't it was a cry that I've never experienced before um it was very primal it was very I felt like I couldn't breathe I couldn't stop trying to talk to myself but not actually having coherent words come out of my mouth Um, I had a hard time breathing, struggling with those, those aspects. And then after probably about maybe five, maybe five to 10 minutes, I don't actually know the time frame because it felt like everything was moving very, um, quickly, even though things were moving very, very slowly. And I called mom. Um, she picked up the phone and I just started hysterically crying again, could not make out actual sentences or words to describe to her what was going on, which has to be the most traumatizing thing that I could have done to her. (laughs) Well, I need therapy now. (laughs) (laughs) Because, oh man. Look, I, I, I have big shoulders. Um, I would say, you know, I've had trauma in my own life. It pushes my trauma buttons. It it brings it all up. It's just 
Crazy. It's so fascinating to me. Um, yeah, because I was here. It was 4.30. It was right after a class. The younger kids were home with their math tutor, and I get a call. And I said, are you okay? What's going on? And you just were, like, hyperventilating. And so I immediately flashed back to day zero, thinking, oh, my God. Again, like I just, I just went right back there. And by the time I had called her as well, while I was on my own and while I had a brief moment of calm before I dialed, was able to dial her number, I knew that this was not related to anything other than the trauma. Totally. I knew right away that this was an an, uh, um, amygdala response. It was a fear response. It was because of a trigger that had prompted my body to go into this state of just complete and utter chaos because I felt like I was reliving the moment. uh, Can you explain the emotion or the feeling in your body? Because you have explained it to me before. Um, what feelings were present? The first thing that I noticed that I've never experienced before, this all was very new to me, but the thing that was just the most like concerning was my legs tensed up and I felt this insane urge to run as I'm sitting down. And I couldn't run because I'm sitting down in my locked vehicle but my legs were like tight and engaged and it was straight like adrenaline and my blood was pumping. My heart was pounding. It felt like there was a uh, large elephant sitting on my chest. I had a hard time catching my breath. It was very difficult to take any sort of like deep breaths at all. It was very shallow. Um, and And it was that point where... When you phoned me, you were hyperventilating. So I realized within maybe five seconds that I, that you could not speak. And I sat down in a corner in the hallway and I grounded myself and I said, okay, I'm in my brain. I thought, okay, well, I got to take her as she is right now. So the thing I need to do is get her calm. I have to help her breathe. So I just walked you through deep breathing until you could. Which I thought was two minutes. It was 10. And the map tutor is sitting on the floor. Your brother and sister are sitting on the floor. They're staring at me and you're on speakerphone and I'm texting your dad and I'm saying, you just have to stay here. This is where we're at. We're not going anywhere. No one's no one's moving an inch until we know you're okay. And we just, you and I just kept breathing together. You finally came around. Um, and then we were able to get going and, and get you home. But then even when we got home, it was like you still were not able to articulate we knew you would have had a panic attack. We knew that this was coming, that was birthed out of trauma. Yeah. That's in your body, in your cells. It's reliving this memory. Yeah. Yet, it was 
it was so interesting. You had an episode and then you were right back to, okay, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, I think I'm on the Incredicoaster in Disneyland. (laughs) Like I felt like I was just going, looping around going, I have to allow this to happen. How many times? And I looked at dad and I said, how many of these are we going to have to go through? Because I felt after this event, because I knew it was stemmed from the trauma that I'd been through, that that was all. <laughs> You're like, oh, Kate did her job. Done. I was like, great. I have a relapse. We're good to go, people. I'm going to be fine. Unfortunately, yeah, or fortunately, it's propelled me to get where I am and I now. would not say unfortunately yeah I, I rescind that fortunately it's Thank moved you. me to the place where I've gotten yeah. unfortunately in the sense that anyone who's going through this might understand the feeling of it being unfortunate because of how incredibly uncontrolled and unbridled you feel in these moments and how uncontrollable it is. It's interesting because um, (coughs) panic, like these emotions that come up, they are stepping forward for a reason. The, The emotions in your body, the emotions that we feel are very complex and they, this is just my perspective, my belief. Um, I don't know this to be true, but I, I would say that I have, a lot of emotion. <laughs> I can concur. Yes. And, but I've learned over the years that when the emotion comes up, it's stepping forward. We talked earlier about anger coming forward and saying, who goes there? I am the gatekeeper. You want to come in here? You're going to have to deal with me thinking, think about the movie um, Inside Out. Right, the, the animated... Pushes the switch. Yeah, he's know? the anger. The little right? red button. The little red, whatever yeah, he and the fire guy or whatever. He corks or whatever. Like, these emotions are sitting and they're, they're this beautiful um, city within us that as you're driving down the city, you're going to see one or another or something else and they're coming up within us. So the panic, it's like... It is responsible for fight or flight in certain ways. And you were almost stuck on repeat of a fight or a flight. And it was just this continual cycle. So when something happened, the panic and the terror that you experienced on day zero was reliving itself in a cycle that was unbroken for three months, now nine months. And it just isn't. Until you begin to work that out, it just keeps cycling like um, like an electric current. Activating in moments where you were like, well, how come that happened? Yeah, and this event made sense to me. And maybe that's why I felt so comfortable with the fact that it happened because it, it was a very clear trigger. It was well, a very, it was violence. It was very loud. Kept into survival mode constantly. Right. But this specific event that caused the panic attack and episode made sense to me mentally. It was like, yep, I 
saw two people get into an altercation. It was loud. There was violence. It was aggressive. It yeah. was unpredictable. I yeah. didn't know what was going to happen to that person. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. Yeah. And so when I was dealing with this later on, to me, it made sense that I had that response and therefore justified that I didn't need to go and get help at that point. Right. You because it made you sense to episode. me. <laughs> it's like, Okay, yeah. so move us to the second episode. So then, um, two months later after that one, that one episode, I went up to Tofino with Nick, and it was the first weekend since the actual trauma that I'd actually relaxed at all. I was quiet. We were just, didn't have an agenda. Right. I wasn't focusing on work. I wasn't focusing on school. It was just blissful and fantastic and I was in nature and just doing all the things that make me the most grounded and happy and comfortable and so I let myself go and we had been watching a show that was a little bit overstimulating it didn't have any of the specific events that were triggering or I believed to be triggering um, but we'd been watching it for a while and I just was like you know what I need a, I need a break and he goes okay so we go lay down and I'm laying there he's right beside me and all of a sudden I slip into this weird state I had my eyes closed and I slipped into this um, memory of when I was a child and I felt really alone I used to have a I used to struggle going to sleep at night and I felt like I was by myself and I even though I had people around me and even though I you know I'd been tucked in for bed or my mom would come and lay with me sometimes but I still felt alone and so I get thrust back into this deep pit of darkness and loneliness that I used to feel when I was eight years old that I haven't felt since I was eight years old. And I was kind of taken aback by this feeling and letting my body process and whatever. And then I got thrust right into the event itself and the trauma. And I had a huge flashback and everything started flowing through my mind and my body and I just kept feeling these waves of just insanely intense loneliness insanely intense emotion and anxiety and anger and anything that I've been feeling over the last like five months all at one time and so it was another level of this panic and this panic attack meanwhile Nick is just watching you doing his own thing, <laughs> observing, but um, I wasn't doing anything that was eliciting that I was having this response. And then after, it was probably a good while that I was kind of stewing in this intense, and I was breathing um, deeply and trying to keep myself calm because I had learned from my first panic attack that trying to keep myself breathing deeply was going to be beneficial for me in the long run. And he kind of puts his hand on my back and goes, are you okay? And I put my, put, looked up and I'm just, just sort of bawling. And he just grabs me. He's like, did I do something? And I said, no. He's so sweet. I said, no. And then he just held me probably for, probably, he can confirm, but probably like 15 to 20 minutes. It was a very long time. And then, he said, okay, tell me when you're ready. Tell me when you're ready. And eventually I just started telling him exactly what I just described, like the pit of loneliness and the frustration and all the emotions and everything. 
And he did his best to kind of hold that as best as he could for me, but also acknowledging that that was something that I was going through and that he didn't have the ability to fix that for me. There's nothing he could do. And there's nothing that I could really do. It was all unresolved things that I hadn't thought about in years, hadn't experienced in a very long time. And then also this intense event that I hadn't really addressed yet. And then after about, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes, I was able to speak normally. I was still crying, but I was speaking normally. I was able to breathe normally. We were able to talk about it and have an emotional discussion because that's what I wanted to do. Um, He never pushed me to do any of that. I just wanted to to deeply discuss it because I felt so vulnerable um, and afraid that this was the reality that I maybe would be facing for the next little while. Mm. Um, I knew that it wasn't going to be something that I would struggle with for my life, but I did feel very hopeless and very helpless because I didn't have the tools to handle this. And I didn't have my huge support system I just had him which is enough but it wasn't the same thing that I'd experienced thus far right and I didn't call mom I didn't actually tell her about it until I got back because I didn't want it to become the focus of the trip right and when you when you told me I I remember saying to you and, and dad was there and I said well, I'm glad you experienced that on your own. Yeah, it was really important. It was it was because, you know, I, while... You kind of walked hand in hand with me through it all the other, you know, from day zero to the episode till this point. And I hadn't really done a lot of the individual Well, it's one thing... Processing. It's, it's one thing for me to be, or to for Nick or dad or anyone else to be saying to you, Hey, you know, you really want to take a look at that. That was a really strong experience that we had yesterday or really strong emotions that we experienced in that conversation or in that moment. Um, But that's concerning to me. And I just want to, I want to, I don't know if I can be that for you. You know, it's one thing for us to say that. It's another thing for you to experience it and then go, oh, okay, hold on. And that was the moment where you said I would be open I would be open to getting help yes so I immediately in front of you sent you the contact information for an incredible person to walk you through this and and it was so interesting because your phone uh notified you Mm. of my text Mm. and you just you didn't do anything with it. At this point, I still, I knew that I needed, now it was different from the first episode as I believed I didn't need help at that point. This point, I knew that I needed to help and I needed to seek out further support. But I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to potentially experience what, this might bring out right and I put it in my calendar actually Mm. um ask Ireland if she's made the phone call 
And, yeah. and, and, and I would ask you and you'd say to me, I'm not ready. And I wouldn't ask you every day. I'd ask you maybe every week or, yeah, you know, something on, like on occasion. Or have you looked at the website yet? Or have you yeah. filled out the form yet? Or Yeah. And, and, and then I would say, say no. get okay. to it. Or So then we have a third episode. So now you're, you've left the house. You're on your way to Nick's house to have family dinner with his fabulous family. And you have not fully disclosed to his mom and dad and brother and sister about your experience because you have not been ready and you're in a measure of denial. So the only person that really knows about this and all the details is really Nick. And we've, we've talked about the event, obviously. And, and they, of course, they were incredibly concerned. But we didn't talk about how I was doing after. Which, so they didn't know yeah. that I was feeling all these things. all these other experiences. They didn't and know any it, of those things. Is it my place to say anything to them? No. Nope. It's not my place to go behind you or around you. It it is not my place. Nope. And so I'm not gonna have that. I'm not I wasn't gonna do that. So I could have said to Nick, hey, you know what, on the side, fill fill your family in. And we didn't do that because it is your journey, your story, and how you are going to deal with this is is really important because I understood. And maybe this is just my age, but I understood that if you do not come into an internalization, it's not going to work in the first place. You're not going to hold a therapy session for 10, 15 times. If you haven't internalized it, you need it. And so I, we stood back and went, dear God, if you could just answer one prayer, it would be get her to somebody quick. So you're on your way to Nick's. And here we go. Driving in the car, um, we're stopped at a. a we are like we're stopped. Yeah, I'm stopped. stopped. I'm by myself, by the way. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I'm stopped. Um, at just a stop sign. There's quite a few people ahead of me. It's dark. It's rainy. Visibility isn't that great. There's a car, two cars ahead of me. Someone gets out of their vehicle. Looks like it's really aggressively rips open the back passenger door looks like they're grabbing something my brain goes and this is while it's raining outside they're at a stop sign yeah so there's quite a few cars i think there's probably 10 cars or so um and it no one had been moving for a, a while and this person i guess was throwing something in their back seat my mind immediately goes to they're grabbing someone out of the back seat <laughs> Right. going to do something horrific and then right. chuck them in the ditch on the other side of the road. So instead right. of me being able to look at the situation logically and actually identify what I was seeing, I went right into this intense panic, worst case scenario. I need to get out of the car. I need to run away. So I need to drive. felt immediately those telltale body symptoms. Yeah, the and I have of- my foot on the brake and I immediately was thinking I need to run and then I remembered I'm driving a vehicle that's moving still or like in the process of moving so I can't gas it I can't brake I can't get out of the car either so you felt trapped so I felt trapped but I had that same urge that I did the the first time when I felt like I needed to run but I 
couldn't obviously run. And then I forced myself to look at this person, which this happened within like 20 seconds. Gets out of the car, closes the door, opens the back door, grabs something or throws, they may have thrown something into the back seat, gets back into the driver's seat. So all of that happened. And in this time frame, I'm going through all those thoughts that I just described. Yeah. Plus the panic, plus the emotion. And you were nauseous. I was super nauseous. I felt like I was going to throw up. I felt dizzy. I wasn't having a hard time breathing, but I definitely felt like I was going to throw up everywhere. And I felt, um, my head felt super heavy. And I, it actually crossed my mind for a minute that I probably should pull over. Problem was the area that I'm in, there wasn't a place for me to pull over. There was no shoulders, ditches on both sides. And it was a single, single lane each way. And I was at a stop sign. And there's no place for me to turn around. So I just thought, okay, I'm going to, I have to go through this. I have to get onto the highway and then I'm just going to have to drive. I'm not going to pull over on the highway. And so it forced me to stay present, but also feel like I need to run, panic, puke, jump out the window. That amygdala response. Yeah, it was really intense. If there's somebody listening who doesn't know what a amygdala response is, do you want to just touch on what that is from the best of your knowledge? Keep in mind, I've taken two psych courses, but basically the amygdala is responsible for fear uh, and immediate responses. And so it controls your ability to process fear. Uh, And if your amygdala is stuck in a fear state where fight or flight fight or flight where your body can't process which is which and like it that would be a really great example is what I experienced is my body actually could not look my brain could not see that situation for what it was I could not for the life of me see that and just go he was just throwing something into his back seat I also assumed it was a male no idea right that's so interesting and, really and I assumed it was an act of aggression exactly, immediately. Exactly, exactly. Which, so the brain is telling you the body's the the body, the mind, the cells, the muscles are all stuck back to day zero. And, but I could not go back to day zero because I was driving. I was putting right. other people That's at right. risk. I could put myself at risk. Totally. And so it forced me to stay present, but still, again, experience and all those you things. you said that as you were driving away from that. Oh, the, the intense anger was almost too much for me. And it's me emulating this response. So listeners, just imagine a tornado. Because this, this, this beautiful woman, that's my daughter, is a force of nature. So we're looking at like earthquakes, tsunamis. <laughs> I'm I can only to give imagine you, to give you a little bit of an insight. <laughs> no I'm swearing. White knuckling the steering wheel. <laughs> driving probably way too fast. Just for a second before I pulled myself back in and was like, I'm driving. I can't even you did not call me. Oh I didn't you call you didn't her. reach out to me. Because I was driving. My newer vehicle has uh, automatic calling or stereo that. calling, but my older vehicle so didn't. So then you got to Nick's house and that would have been uncomfortable for you because 
You- well, it was about a 20-minute drive from the place that I experienced this event to his house. And so the whole time that I was driving there, I was thinking about it. I allowed myself to cry. I allowed myself to be emotional and angry. And then as soon as I... Like, the other two episodes that I had, I never felt anger. I felt peace and... Well, kind of peace. But mostly I just felt like, yep, that was okay that I experienced that. I'm okay with that. This one, however, I did not feel rested or peaceful or like, yeah, that happened because it needed to. I was pissed. I was so angry that I experienced that intense of a response for something that I could see and was telling myself it's just a person throwing something in their backseat. But my body was like, no, they can kill you. And I was like, no, they're not. It was just so frustrating to battle with myself and I felt so such an intense rage and that was the tipping point for me going this is not okay for me to feel this level of anger that I've actually probably never felt even towards another individual it was just this I just can't describe it as anything other than just intense and raw Mm. and so when so you get to Nick's house and you and you text me and and that's kind of the end of that episode. Yeah. You guys came back or you came back. We talked about it. You cried a lot that night. You mm-hmm. came back late, but I waited for you. Mm-hmm. You cried a lot about it. Um, we I helped you, you know, just release the energy and, and center yourself. You went to bed. You didn't sleep well. Neither did I. But that was just. And then I can't remember. I mean, Nick was back. The we next talked day it, it and we was talked about a week later. So okay. we talked about, yeah, we're standing in the kitchen and she said, do you have that contact information? Cause I had asked for it uh, a week prior and I said, yeah. <laughs> and she said, okay. And your famous line was, I have it. Could you send it to me again? Even though I had like eight files with the contact information and we came into the office we sat down and I pulled it up on my phone. Now, after we'd talked about it for, yeah. for a few more minutes, and I pulled it up on my phone and I had the form in front of me. You have to fill it like a little form. And I had that in front of me and I couldn't start typing. So she takes the phone out of my hand and types in my information for me. Which is just literally your name and your email and phone number. When I say information, it's like three and things. Then, and then they ask just a, a description of why you're reaching out. Yeah. So, and Nick was here and you, you guys are going to go out for dinner. Dad and I were going out for our dinner. Yeah. And I said, uh, can you read this? And you said, yeah, good. And you handed me back the phone and said, okay, send it. And I looked at you and I said, no. I said, take the phone. And you have to hit the send button. Oh, it was the worst. It was the weirdest thing I've ever You were so resistant. I couldn't hit the button. But you did. I did. And 40 minutes later, was contacted. That's right. By a phone. Had a lovely conversation with the therapist that I'm planning on going on this and, journey and with. he said something to you that I I really felt was important. He said, Ireland, with the work that I do, you will need 
sessions, but this isn't a lifetime issue. And that changed you. It changed. It just became this weight that was lifted off because of the last few episodes. When I first experienced on day one, when I first experienced the trauma, I kept saying to myself, it won't define me. It won't define me. It won't define me. This isn't a life sentence. I don't want to live with this for the rest of my life. But then throughout those episodes, it creates this feeling of just this little weight that's just always kind of on you. Well, and might I add, I actually disagree with you. Because all along here, the what you think and what you feel and what you say are not connected. There's a lot of dissociation. Right. Um, a lot of removal. And from my recollection, which it like it's just my perspective, so it might not even be true. Because I have my own pain uh, surrounding this particular issue uh, and experience. But you will always say, um, I, I don't, I don't feel it or I feel this, but it's not transition. You're not translating that message. So, so even though I kept saying to myself, we're saying to yourself Mm -hmm. that it wasn't a life sentence and you were saying now, Nick might be able to straighten me out on this one, but I almost, I'm pretty sure you were saying, how am I going to deal with this for the rest of my life? Yeah. So my internal dialogue at the time was, it won't define me. This isn't, I'm not going to let this be something that takes a hold of my life. Trying to stop the narrative from like, you know, when you have a bad habit, Mm -hmm. procrastination or whatever, And you can say things like, I am not doing this for the rest of my life. Right. Right. Like this is the habit I can beat. What this experience, and I cannot wait for a professional to weigh in on this, but there's such an incongruence and a conflict because, because here's the thing, what happened to you was not normal. No. And because of that, you're trying to handle it. As if it's just like a bad habit of just exercising more or eating no sugar. Realize the complexity. It is so complex. that Of trauma. Exactly. And that's why we're having this conversation. This is not over. No. We, we, are, not, we are not in a place where we're resting on this, where you feel finished, where you feel like you even have tools. Because you haven't gone to your therapy session yet. We've had an interview and an, and an, and an overview, but but nothing that's Which is why this to shift interview it. that we're doing is so important. Well, it was important for me to do this now because there's still a lot of um, loose ends and there's still a lot of things that I haven't looked at yet and things that I don't know about even my own experience that I'm looking forward to discovering moving forward. And it was important for me to speak from this still raw and unfinished feeling of who I am and what this is. And, you know, emotions are so powerful. Yeah. And And not putting labels on what I'm feeling. Well, and because I think now I haven't asked you about this, Mm. but perhaps we can just, 
briefly talk about it. I was amazed by the power of your emotion. Mm. Like I did not realize. I mean, I know I've had reactions. You know, when someone reacts, you can feel that power of the rage. Yeah. But this felt different. The, the power of this trauma elicited a emotion that was something that when when I felt it coming from you, it was it was it was unbelievable. It was so raw and so um, primal, primal. Like the the level of you needing and not even being aware of the need for protecting yourself. Not was so obvious to me as a witness. I'm the witness perspective. I'm looking at you going, oh my. That the the moments where you would come home and you'd have a stressful day at work and you'd be like weeping. Or and the power of those tears. It was like I I have to say, and I think it's for people, I don't know it as much as someone with this level of trauma knows it. But it was really powerful to me. And that is a story for many, many people out there who are the person who's witnessing this. And you're saying your own perspective, but man, it's been difficult. It's been really hard. And holding those emotions and letting them be, that's been been really... Well, it was also interesting for me in my relationship with Nick as well, because at the time we were still pretty fresh in terms of at what point throughout a relationship do you allow that other person to see you vulnerable? At what point do you allow that person to experience that level of emotion alongside of you? You know, if you do have mental health um, issues and illnesses, and if you do have you know, depression, anxiety, when do you let that person into what that looks like for you instead of just being like, yeah, I'm depressed. Okay, well, what does that look like? Do they sit with you through a depressive episode? Do they experience what a full-blown panic attack is like with you? I didn't get to control that. Right. And so at this point in our relationship where you're just developing that level of trust and that emotional intimacy. So vulnerable for you. And And him. And him. And all of a sudden, there's this catalyst that propels this really intense experience forward very quickly and accelerates it so fast. And there was a piece of me throughout this journey, because he was so closely involved, that was was afraid to allow him to see that as well. So... I'm comfortable being fully emotional with my family because they've lived with me my whole life. They understand who I am inside and out. They've been with me through, you know, other breakups and traumas and not to this level, but friendship issues. And they know who I am. Whereas this, this man that I'm choosing to be with does not know these pieces, doesn't know my backstory as well is learning who I am. And I'm sharing this insanely, vulnerable piece of myself that I don't even know yet and that you can't control and I can't control and these levels of in like we've talked about intense emotion but you said too that it was 
you said early, early on in this, in this episode, you said, I was learning who I was with this. I can't push the anger away. I can't push the, the feeling of wanting to run away. I have to step into it. Mm-hmm. After I had my last episode, the reason why I decided to move forward with getting therapy and searching for help is because I felt, first of all, in that moment, anger and rage. And then after that, almost immediately, shame. And I felt so embarrassed that I could see physically in front of me what was happening. And I couldn't put the pieces together. And I couldn't not experience the anger and the frustration. And then as soon as it went to shame, I said to myself, it's not okay that I feel embarrassed and shameful due to my response. Mm. I feel like that's not, it's just not okay (laughs) for me to feel so incredibly negative about what I experienced. Yet there are people that, that aren't moving to that place yet and it's totally okay. There's, yeah, like there's nothing wrong with feeling shameful and feeling embarrassed and experiencing those emotions within this ex- experience. There's going to be levels of that, especially depending on what kind of trauma you go through. Sure. If it's a sexual assault, maybe you're going to feel very shameful and embarrassed about what happened to you. Maybe you felt like you could have done something differently. Mm. If you're involved in something violent, same thing. Maybe I could have stepped in sooner. Maybe I could have avoided the situation. If you're in a toxic relationship, you had the chance. What were the signs? You had a chance to move on. I didn't have any of those with this particular event. So I couldn't blame it on anything else but myself. And so when I felt anger and frustration, it went right back to me as an individual. And just that I had all these things that I was feeling that I didn't need to feel. What I've learned through this experience of trauma is it's okay to be involved in an ongoing process. It's okay to not know how to move through it. Uncertainty. It's okay to be uncertain. It's okay to be vulnerable. Mm. It's okay to talk about it 50 times in a time that you're with someone and not feel like you're talking about it too much. Mm. I feel like the... You know, you got two ends of the spectrum. You have people that want to talk about it all the time and you feel like people are going to be frustrated with the fact that that's all you want to talk about or you feel like you don't want to talk about it because you don't want people to have that perceived, oh my gosh, she's just living in this trauma over and over again. So it's struggling with not only societal pressures, family, dynamic pressures, relationship, being involved in a new relationship, having to figure that out. Or an old relationship, and, and this and, comes up. And like you said, um, whether you're in a f- new relationship or whether you're in a 10-year, 50, 40-year relationship, this is a part of you that that is so un- out of control, as you've described, yeah. that you're not wanting to reveal this to people. 
no, no, no matter this. how long you've been in relationship. I've been in relationship with mom for 21 years. Yeah. And no, at no point had it become easier to talk to her or talk to Nick no. or talk to my best friend no. or talk to right. my dad or my brothers or my sisters. Well, and, and, and evidence of that is that you didn't want to hit the send button. No. Right. And, and that's, that's, that's real. So this is going to be interesting. I, I want to thank you for sharing um, your process. This has been, um, it's been great. And thank you for giving me a platform to talk about this and hopefully inspire other people who might be going through something similar or can identify with pieces of my experience that it's okay to seek out help. It's okay to feel what you're feeling. You're not alone. You're not the only person who feels this. I felt like I was the only person who was experiencing this level of emotion connected to this trauma. And it's okay to be human. It's okay to go Mm -hmm. through these things and learn and love these new versions of yourself because whether it's prompted by a trauma or something else you're going to continue to change and that's something that I'm really grateful for from this Mm. experience that it's given me the opportunity to learn to love a new version of myself and interact with a new version of myself and not rely on old habits to keep Mm. myself going and not rely on my old tools that I thought were great and now I'm getting new tools and now I'm developing new things and I'm learning how to share and speak up and talk about how I'm feeling in a different way. It's not just, oh, I'm really great at processing emotions. But that's just acceptance. And I think that's the beauty of what we were talking about is that surrender. Yeah. That you surrendered. We've all surrendered in different ways. As 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 a mom, as a friend, I've surrendered to letting you lead and not forcing. And I've surrendered to watching it's been heart-wrenching. And it's never too late to go and get the help that you need. Absolutely. Whether this trauma is 15 years old, mm. whether it's five minutes old, yeah. <laughs> there's never a time where it's too late for you to go seek help. And if this prompted anything for you as a listener, um, I would encourage mm. to either just talk about it with someone that you love and trust, if that's that's a big enough step. Yeah. And... It took me nine months to fully come to terms with the fact that I needed to be ready and that I needed to get assistance. And that's just my timeline. That's not a timeline for everyone. And I would encourage at any point that you're feeling there's nothing wrong with going and getting support and getting help and talking to other people and realizing that other people experience similar feelings to what you feel your experience is unique obviously and what you experience for yourself is going to be different than other people but it's about acknowledging when enough is enough and how long are you going to let yourself suffer it truly is torturous it is torturous and it's and it's hard on the body it's hard on the motion it's hard on the mind it's hard on the people you love it's hard it's just hard and and so when people are ready, there's a lot of people out there, uh, professionals and uh, people that are qualified to say, hey, 
we we see you, we're with you, and uh, we're here for you. Thank you for sharing, Ireland. Thank you for having me.